Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Shelley Fennell. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about buying off the plans and the clauses that you should just be aware of or things you should be aware of when you do, are doing that. And we are again joined by Shelley Fennell from Hederson Reeves Lawyers. And Shelley is a solicitor who we've been working with for a little while now. Now, of course, we talk a lot about buying brand new stock on the show. And the reason we, we are so interested in it is because it provides a better quality house for the tenant. It is often needs a smaller level of deposit because of the cha- the differences in LVR restrictions between new and existing properties. And actually, when you're buying off the plans, there's lower competition because you don't have to stand in an auction room and try and bid against the next person for it. So there typically is less competition. But there are some things to be aware of because you're buying a house that hasn't been built yet. You can't see it. You can't touch it. So that's what we're going to be talking about on the show today. And the first thing we'll talk about is deposit because when you buy off the plans you've got to provide a deposit but there are some things to be aware of to make sure that that's secure. What are those things Shelley? So it really just is basic as looking at the agreement and making sure the deposit is held by the vendor solicitor until settlement. So even though you're paying that deposit that money isn't going to the developer so that they're able to use it on the the, uh, development? No absolutely not. So how do they, I mean, just to go off track for just one moment, so how do they fund it? How do they, how do so developers they, fund they it? They have financiers and obviously the financier needs to know that they're holding those deposits, um, but that's obviously the term, they're happy with that and then obviously that means if the purchaser defaults, then the vendor gets the deposit and then is able to on-sell the unit. Um, so they'll just have strict requirements. They, they all seem to have slightly different um, requirements imposed by their lender as well. Interesting. And the next one as well, and I think this is probably the most important, in my opinion, one, is the sunset clause. Now, the reason that a sunset clause is so important is that if you buy off the plans and you buy off a developer, then that project takes a while to be completed. Now, that yet the you might expect that to be completed in, in a year, but it might go over time, it might go over budget, it might take two or three years. And a sunset clause will protect you and allow you to walk away from that development uh, after that period of time because you don't necessarily just want your deposit tied up in a property that hasn't been built. And also, if you don't have a sunset clause, so no ability to count, cancel, and they take five years to uh, build the property, you can't go and buy anything else either. You're stuck waiting forever more until they build the property. So I would not, I wouldn't be very happy about a client signing up to an off the plans agreement without a sunset clause. It is really, really the critical, critical clause that has to be in there. And how how long should a sunset clause typically allow the developer? So I'm comfortable with about a year uh, after the expected completion date. That seems to be the norm. Obviously, if it's shorter, it's better. Um, Sometimes the sunset clauses allow the lender, uh, the developer, to extend uh, if there's any events beyond their reasonable control, which could be a strike or war or an earthquake or something like that. So we would also want to put a long stop date on that, maybe only another six months or something, so that there is always a definite long stop date 
that lets you cancel if they if you haven't got your apartment or your unit by then. And I think this is the flip side as well from those lower LVR restrictions and and the lower competition. All the benefits that we talk about of buying off the plans is that you've got to make sure you know there are these other risks that could potentially be there. But one way to protect yourself is through these additional clauses. Now the other uh, one important thing to recognise is that the developers have the freedom to ch- make changes to the title and make changes to the unit or apartment. Uh, or house that you're buying. So what do you do about this, Shelley? Or well, talk to us about this. Yeah, so you're buying something that hasn't been built and doesn't have title issued, and so there's no certainty about those matters. So the agreements are all slightly different, and they always give the developer some flexibility to register new interests on the title or change the development or, uh, the, or the plan or the unit. And so as a lawyer, I look for... Uh, restrictions on that ability so as long as it doesn't materially adversely affect um, your use and use and enjoyment of the property and we would also want to see some kind of mechanism so if your unit was say three percent five percent smaller than you were promised then we we would want to see a reduction in the purchase price. And one of the things that really caught my ear that you said before we hit record was that there is no agreement that can 100% protect you from buying off the plans. Now that sounds really scary, but what do you mean by that? So I don't think any agreement can 100% say this is the unit that you're expecting because you've got to everyone's expectations could be slightly different. So what you have to be satisfied with is that it's a developer with a good track record uh, that you trust to provide that uh, unit to you. I think the benefit, I guess, of dealing with um, someone like Opus is that they have a relationship with the developer, they, they've seen them, they obviously trust them and then if you have any issues after settlement then you've got Opus uh, behind you, you're not just one purchaser saying I need you to fix it. So there's an incentive for the developer to keep keep you happy I guess. And just to talk a, a little bit about that to get into the nitty gritty because I actually hadn't thought about it before you before you said I guaranteed Andrew would have already thought about this but is that if we've had say a developer is building 12 units um, uh, together within this development and we've recommended say four properties to to our clients so we've got you know we're representing four, four investment clients uh, to that developer. If something goes amiss then we make up or our clients make up 33% of that development, in which case we've got more negotiating power. And when Andrew picks up the phone to that developer to, uh, get, you know, chew off their ear and yeah. and sort it out for for our clients, that he's really got that power because he's not, you know, you're no longer eight percent, one in twelve of the development. You're thirty three percent of it. And the other interesting thing there as well is that, say, we were working with a particular developer on one development, representing, you know, or recommending their their stock. We may be representing some of the, the the new developments that they're trying to bring to market as well. So you've got your because you've kind of got this group together. Um, there's there's more commercial negotiating power, which is which is it just helps to have that leverage if something goes wrong. But the other question that I had for you, Shelley, was what happens that if the the property gets built and something's not quite right with it? You know, what clauses could you have in place around this? And you said, well, you wouldn't necessarily invoke a clause in that case. So what would you do? 
So you can't claim, if you go and look at your unit and it's got some, I, it's, I think in the business they call it snags, there's a snags <laughs> list, so whenever anyone builds a property, there's always going to be little, little snags that turn up after they've built it. So in an ordinary existing house, you'd claim some compensation on settlement. That doesn't, That isn't the case in and off the plans agreement, and that's because the Building Act gives you a 12-month, uh, period where you notify defects to your to your vendor and they have to they have to fix it, and often with off the plans, well, normally we would like to see that reflected in the wording of the agreement as well. So, uh, so you just go back to the developer and you say, I'd like that fixed or your vendor. And I think the key thing here is that whenever you you enter into any sort of agreement or you choose your strategy, whether it's going into and doing um, buy and flipping or buying and holding, whether you're going to buy existing properties or new properties, each of them has their own benefits and those come with the associated risks as well. So we often talk again about the benefits of, of buying off the plans, buying new stock. There are associated risks and drawbacks and these are some of the ways to try and mitigate the things that can go wrong because we've been there and we've seen it as well. But when you actually think about off the off the plans, because we've we've possibly made it sound really risky, you know, broadly speaking, is it risky? Well, I, ostensibly, it's more risky than buying an existing house that you can walk through in an existing title. But I think you, there's obviously risk with that as well, is that you never know <laughs> what's inside the wall, and there's a lot of stories of people that have bought houses that they're not happy with. So the fact that there is not a physical property and there is not a title that you can see um, does seem to suggest more risk, And but there's a commercial benefit to it. Obviously, that's why people do it. They end up with a new unit, and we don't really see that many uh, issues after settlement. Very interesting. Fantastic. Well, let's wrap it up there. And of course, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more and more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I, why not check out our Epic Guide to Property Investment? It's a 16,000 word free guide on our website. You don't even need to put in your email address in order to be able to see that. So if you want to get to this, really simple, just pull out your phone, Google Property Investment or Property Investment NZ. And it's the second or third thing that comes up, uh, I think it's called the seven seven actionable tips or something like along those lines is what you'll see. It's the epic guide. Um, go there, check it out. It is a great read. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host Ed McKnight. I'm Shelley for now, and we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.